1: Bill's podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about.
2: Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Power Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer Chris Krueger. And we are here tonight kicking off our 2023 Draft Preview Series, or as I've lovingly come to call it, Draft Previews for Dummies. Because realistically, you all know that I suck at this by now. The cat's out of the bag, so to speak. I... Uh, I haven't proven – Chris, do you remember when we started this in earnest and I really thought that I could make something out of this? Like, I'm going to yeah. talk
1: draft. I like to forget about that. I'm
2: going to dig into draft prospects and give my insights. Turns out not – it hasn't gone well. In fact, it's become a joke amongst our fan base unto itself that if I h- hate a prospect, then obviously they're going to go on to be successful, which is why we've adopted new – we adapt, right? That's what we do as human beings. Yeah. And so in that way, we just go out and we find people smarter, better looking, more well-spoken to come onto the podcast every week and tell us a little bit of something about the upcoming draft class. And tonight we have one of Bill's Mafia's favorites, Mr. Bruce Nolan. How are you, sir?
3: Well, I mean, I was doing good until you teased your fan base and your listeners and viewers with the idea that I was somehow better looking than you. Because now they're trying to imagine how on earth that would possibly be a real thing <laughs> they've seen how my could t- anybody be better looking than drew gear
2: um orthodontia right there literally right there i just raised the bar a
1: notch
3: i'm not even willing to tell you the quality of my teeth
1: Mr. <laughs> <laughs> i like it let me uh hit you with the story bruce that this happened to me yesterday at work and it made me think of you a little bit i was Now, for those that don't know, when I'm at work, I have headphones on. I'm listening to podcasts all day long. I came out of the bathroom yesterday at work, and I was walking back across the roadway, and I'm listening to the Giannis Papas Hour, and he says something, and I I start laughing because it's hilarious. And then this woman that works in another department than me, I mean, I'm over in her department half the time, she I could see she said something to me. I can't hear her. I have headphones on. So I take my headphones off and she goes, "I've never seen you smile before. <laughs> you l- always look so mean and unapproachable." I'm like, "That's how I want to do life." That yeah. is I You're don't want something right. Yes, I'm doing something right. I don't want anybody to talk to me, approach me. Yeah, apparently to this woman I'm all I always look mean and never smile and I love it. What
2: Chris loved was he goes, "Listen, he goes, I think I've almost reached what Bruce has already harnessed. This thing of I don't need friends. I don't need you. I don't need random people inserting themselves into my life."
3: My wife and I were having a conversation just a few hours ago about specific plans for Easter. And She said, well, do you want to do that? And I said, well, of course I don't want to do that. And she smiled and said, of course you don't want to do that. I said, yes, there is never going to be a time when I will prefer anything to staying at home with my wife ever. (laughs) The only time that that is not true is when it is socially or morally responsible for me to do so. And even that is pushing it. I will only do it because I believe That I owe somebody a duty, morally, socially, or otherwise, Mm. to leave the house and not be with my wife, by ourselves, with our dogs, at home. That's it. If you could design a world where I never had to do that, I wouldn't do it. (laughs) I love
2: it. I, I love knowing that about you. Before we jump into this one, just one quick question. Are you actually good at karaoke, or is this just all a ruse? Like... Have you like this thing that you because here's the thing, like, I hope that we can all still be friends afterwards when this is all over. And I've made Nate Geary cry. And yeah, I feel like I feel like you're like, because when I hear Nate talk about his his vocal chops, I've heard you sing. I know that you have some of them. I I look at Nate. Nate is like. Like, it's the key. Like, if I could pick a pairing of you and Nate being uh, teammates in a karaoke competition, it's like that Looney Tunes where there's the little dog that talks a lot and then there's the big dog that's actually the muscle. You're the big dog. And I feel like Nate's that tiny, yappy little dog with a bad mustache.
3: <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. I can, I can carry a tune and there's specific genres of music that fit better with me than others. Um, but I'm okay. The truth is that I'm, I'm, I'm okay. That's what it is. And and I'll listen. I'll, I'll, I'll talk a lot of smack because it's all fun and that's great. But the truth is that I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm completely passable. I have a decent enough range. I have decent enough tone. And the genre is, the genre selection is broad enough that I can do a couple different things. I have good rhythm. I can do things like that. But I'm, I'm not going to go out there and have anybody thinking I'm Adele.
2: <laughs> I mean very very few people are. I mean it, it it's it's just gonna I think it's an interesting thing. It's gonna be fun post draft sometime this summer to really get together and I just hope, like I said, I, I, I in fact I texted Nate the other day and he was just like, Hey, I can't remember what he said, and I go, Oh, and also I, I said I'm gonna do this for you and also I'm gonna get you tissues so that everyone like your family, your your sister, your mother Like, because they're going to cry when they see what I do to you. Nate. (laughs) And it's karaoke competition. I can't wait for it. But even more so, I'm looking forward to talking to you about this year's draft. Last year, you got what you wanted. You finally got the thing that you've been clamoring for forever, which is that the Buffalo Bills draft cornerbacks. Not just, they did it early and often, right? Not one, but two. And both went on to play significant roles for our team. And while acclimation for each was kind of an uneven path, would you say that their rookie seasons were, and I'm putting this in quotes, successful?
3: Successful qualitatively? I don't think they were successful quantitatively. Greatness, I've talked about this when I talk about Hall of Fame players or Mm -hmm. all pros, greatness is determined by how well you do something multiplied by how long you do that thing. So this is where you get the phrase flashes of greatness or moments of greatness. If you say that about someone, it means they don't have greatness. Why? Because you qualified it as flashes. Therefore, greatness as a concept must be how good you do something, how good you are at a specific thing multiplied by the length of time at which you do it. So with Kair Elam, it was because they didn't want him to play, and with Christian Benford, it was because he got hurt. So both of them played at levels that were at or higher than they could reasonably have been expected based on the any reasonable bar coming in. Kyer Elam was a pressman corner who was drafted almost purely for his physical traits and his work ethic into a system that he was arguably not a good fit for. Christian Benford was an extremely experienced, physical, tough, ball-hawking corner from significantly lower degree of difficulty college experience. Both of them played perfectly fine. So when I look at their rookie seasons, I'm absolutely pleased with both of them. My issue is that I didn't get to see enough of them, not that I didn't get to see the flashes of – I'm not going to say greatness – the flashes of goodness – For either one of them.
2: And I did. And I'm, well, and I'm really happy that you explained it like that because see, this is why I love you. You're a professional because you set me right up to roll into this because I'm, I guarantee you that the people who make the decisions over at one bills drive probably feel sort of the same way. You know, when they think about this, okay, we drafted these two kids and we didn't get to see a ton. So we kind of have to figure out what do we have? And so with that in mind, you figure Dane Jackson is still in the fold. You have a Trey White who hopefully is now with a, a full offseason under his belt, an off season program, some acclimation with what's going on around him. You will have probably the strongest cornerback room that Sean McDermott has had since, I don't know, since he took over as the head coach of the Buffalo Bills in 2017. With that in mind... Everything I've read tells me that this cornerback class, the strength of it really is at boundary corner. These big physical, I mean, Chris, if you scroll down here, he's got in front of me the Draft Network's list of all the prospects in the cornerback class. There are so many of them at the top that are six foot, six foot four, six foot two. These big guys who project as great boundary corners. And then you look at that, what we saw last year from the guys the Bills drafted going into their sophomore season what do you think that this team's appetite is going to be to add another boundary corner to their room?
3: I don't think the appetite will be high unless something's sticking out. I am never, let me just go on record, I am never going to complain ever about adding more defensive backs as a general rule. Because we've seen time in and time in that people can get hurt in that position, and all of a sudden you're in a... Deep, deep loaded dog doo-doo. Like, that's just the way it is. And so I'm never going to complain about back seven, ever, except I wish you would have gone for a different position because I think it's a higher need. That's it. That's mm-hmm. the only time I'm going to complain about it is from a value-need base. But from a team standpoint, if you have Dane Jackson back on a lower-than-tender level contract, if you feel good about Christian Bedford, which you clearly did because you were playing him over – player you picked in the first round, if you feel good about Kyle Elam, if you think Tredavious White is going to be two years removed from the ACL injury and can regain form, the only time I feel like you would have a significant appetite is if you are convinced that Christian Benford's moving to safety. If you think Benford and Taylor Rapp are your safeties, then all of a sudden now you need a third outside boundary corner. And now it becomes in play, maybe early day three, middle day three. Aside from that, I think that you can maybe make an argument that the way that this team drafts can tell us what they think as far as whether or not they're planning on moving Benford to safety. In addition, there was a comment made earlier this offseason that I was not prepared for, which was it was about the concept of Taryn Johnson going to safety eventually down the line. So. That time horizon, which is going to be something we're going to talk about later, changes a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So I think that you can almost say the plans will be revealed by the actions, not I know what the plan is, so the action should be this.
2: Well, and that's a great way to put it, because if you try to – first of all, anybody who tries to prognosticate using that, like you're going to be wrong all of the time. Brandon Bean knows what Brandon Bean wants to do, and even then, Brandon Bean probably doesn't know what he wants to do until – the week leading up to the draft, and even then on draft day when the board's falling, what he wants to do may shift. But nonetheless, the value and the makeup of these classes will kind of dictate that and kind of dictate other teams' needs and who gets pushed down versus who gets elevated. So it's very interesting to me that, like, if we're talking about cornerbacks to lead off this DB conversation tonight, the onus, and it's funny you mentioned Teron Johnson because that's my first question. You know, if I know we don't need boundary, now I'm looking at the slot and I say to myself, Teron Johnson is one of the better slot corners in football. He is also a smaller player who plays a very physical brand of football. And I don't know what the shelf life is for that. Now, we watched... It got, it's it's actually really funny, and I'll get into more details later, but I uh, right now, Jordan Poyer. Like, if you were to look at his projection coming out of college... A lot of, like, the, you know, the, the quote unquote scouting and the traits stuff that he, you know, different outlets. This is ESPN tried to grade him on. They gave him, oh, what is it? A, um, oh, they gave him a two for durability. <laughs> they said his durability was a two. He didn't have any injury issues with Buffalo until, what, this past year? But again, this is the toll of playing a very physical brand of safety as a starter for four or five years. You take that and you compact that into a smaller player who has played probably the same span of snaps, just in a smaller time frame, as a younger player, starter, right out of the box, instead of like Jordan Poyer starting off as a special teamer, and you have to start to question what what the future of that position looks like. And so, and I, I also look at this from team makeup standpoint. Saron Neal hasn't been awful, but losing Edmonds the coverage quality of our entire defense could take a huge hit if something happens to Teron Johnson. So not only for cap purposes and what the future may look like of the position and some shuffling going on, what does – like I'm particularly interested in this nickel cornerback class. What
3: do they look like to your eye this year? I think one of the things that we need to start off with is we just assume – that nickel corners are shorter. If someone is shorter, okay. we just say, well, just throw them in the nickel. This is fair. And we, we do it with wide receivers until recently. So recently when you said slot wide receiver, you went, ah, Cole Beasley. Like that's, that's what you thought. Ah, Cole Beasley, right? But now our offensive awareness as a football community has increased to the point where now we understand power slots and we understand things like that. But that, That same knowledge hasn't transitioned over to the defensive side of the ball like it should.
2: Well, I'll say this. There's a few teams. there's There's a few teams that have a few, very few. One of them has been the Baltimore Ravens. They're one of these teams that understood it was when, like, I'm thinking back to when they had Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey, and, uh, Peters all on the field. And they had no problem putting Jimmy Smith or Marlon Humphrey, depending on who the wide receiver was, in the slot going, Hey, we know we have a big corner, but also those guys can bang and they're physical and they can handle whatever you're going to throw at them. And they're also shifty enough that if you put a smaller guy in there, we, like they were trotting out battleships. When everybody else, like, like in the game of battleship, when you had the five hole boat, that's what the Ravens were throwing out there at all three cornerback positions. And it didn't matter what smaller vessel you might put out there against them, They could hold their own. They were one of the few teams I've seen do that. I feel like most franchises undervalue that kind of makeup.
3: Yeah, I think that the reason why we think about slot corners being shorter is because really we're actually thinking about a trait that's related to the height and not the height itself. So one of the things that we need to do is we need to separate traits. So people who are short have a tendency to have shorter arms. Right, But that doesn't necessarily mean anything. There's plenty of people who are really tall who have arms that are markedly shorter than you would think they would. There is a linebacker for Iowa that is very significantly talked about for the Buffalo Bills and Jack Campbell, Mm -hmm. who is not nearly as long-limbed as you would think he would be based on his height. We just have a tendency to correlate all these traits. Really, what you're looking for is change of direction skill. And change of direction skill is largely determined by hip elevation. And hip elevation is largely determined by height. So we're doing this transitive thing where we're saying, well, I want someone who can cover two-way goes. And in order to cover two-way goes, I need change of direction ability. And in order to get change of direction ability, I need lower hip elevation. I need people who are capable of getting low in and out of cuts. And people who are capable of getting low in and out of cuts are people who naturally have lower hips. People who naturally have lower hips are people who are shorter. We're doing that transitive thing all the way through. But really, all you care about is they can cover two-way goes. Can the guy now, get there? It doesn't necessarily mean that shorter people are going to have an easier time with that. Sure. But they're not the only people who have easier time with it. That's one of my main problems with the way that we evaluate cornerbacks for the NFL draft. We go, is he short? Yes. Bam. Slot. Well, I mean, what? Come on, man. <laughs> like, we all know a short guy who turns like a tugboat. Like, everybody knows that guy. They've played pickup basketball against that guy. They played flag football or ultimate Frisbee against that Guy. We all know that guy who just because you're short doesn't mean you're quick. And I think really what we should be doing is we should be looking at three-cone drills and short shuttles and things like change of direction. We all praised Jackson Smith and Jigba at the Combine for his insane agility drills. And that was awesome. Good for us. They're like, oh man, he's gonna eat from the slot. Look at that change of direction. And then we turn around and we don't do that for corners. And I don't (laughs) understand. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here. It's a scenario (laughs) where we should just understand that covering two-way goes is a big part of what's necessary to cover the slot. But you don't have to be short for that. You don't have to be able to do that. So for me, yes, having a, a slot corner who's under six feet means your hips are lower. And that's great. And that's... Awesome. Hips lower means lower hip elevation. Lower hip elevation means you can probably have cover two way goes more efficiently. And all that stuff is true. And that's wonderful. But you're just looking for someone who can cover two way goes. So as I'm looking through this class and I'm looking through players who I think, okay, that's a, that's a player I feel good about with a slot corner. I will tell you right now that cornerback testing. Is incredibly important to me. There are certain positions where you look at it and the combine and you go, yeah, I mean, it's not, yeah, it's whatever, you know, offensive line and corners are extremely important. There is a very heavy correlation between corners who don't run well and corners who don't play well because, you know, a big part of corner is running. Like that's a big part of it. Imagine you were covering the best athletes on the planet and they know where they're going and you don't know where they're going. You have to be an even better athlete than the people you're covering to keep up with them because they're it's like playing tag. You got to be a better athlete to catch the guy because he knows where you're going and you don't. This is where
2: I'll throw in. Now, not to Chris. This will mean nothing to you. This will be confirmation of everything you just said. T's Tabor was taken in the second round.
3: He was a 2nd round draft pick. Don't 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 get me started on Tease Tabor.
2: Tease Tabor was one of the biggest draft busts at cornerback. I mean, we're talking in the era of D. Milner's. And just in the era of SEC cornerbacks who got taken too high, Tease Tabor might take the cake for being the least accomplished of all of them. Maybe the most embarrassing one. And again, he had all the hype. He tested terribly. I'm looking at his RAS scorecard right now. Everywhere he was poor. His speed grade, his explosion grade, his cone drills, everything was bad. (laughs) Literally everything was terrible. And yet his size grade was big. He was big. His weight grade was everybody loved him. Like this is it. Testing matters at this position. So who's, so, so out of what you've seen, who are some of the guys who you think test well enough? That for a team like Buffalo, who probably isn't going to commit a ton of resources to a position at the top of the draft, where we have more pressing needs on the roster, or positions that just simply command more money on the free market. So you're probably pressured into drafting those positions more often than you would otherwise. Who... How do you feel about the Bills' ability to maybe go out there and find somebody who might fit that role?
3: Every year, I fall in love with a nickel corner. Every year. This year, it's Clark Phillips. Clark Phillips from Utah. One of the things that we don't talk about enough when it comes to slot corners, because I just mentioned a lot of stuff when it comes to covering two-way goes and hip elevation, mm-hmm. and we're not going to talk about that anymore. But you got to trigger downhill and play the run. like you just You have to. Taron Johnson is the reason why the Bills play nickel all the time. Yep. They wouldn't do it. Taron Johnson is the reason. 2017,
2: they didn't have him. And they played like 37% or 40% base almost. And that's a lot in today's NFL. Just base 4-3. The following year as a rookie, they draft Teron Johnson in 2018. And they've never looked back.
3: He is the thing. He is the spoon. He is the straw. Whatever it is that you use to stir your milkshake, that's what he is. Right? Because we all know you should get a root beer float and you should kind of whip it a little bit, like whip it real good <laughs> with your spoon. And then <laughs> yeah. you can suck it up through the straw as long as it's, you know, partially whipped. Yes. But Clark Phillips is that guy for me. You look at Clark Phillips, you go, oh, he runs a 451. And you think, I love how we think 451 is like slow now. Right? But it's not. But. This is a guy who is, I mean, four three two on a 20-yard shuttle, which is fantastic, right? He's a playmaker, absolutely a playmaker. This is a guy who triggers downhill. He's physical. He makes a play on the ball. He's aggressive. This is the kind of nickel that you want. Now, I don't think the bills are going to be in the nickel market right now, but I'll tell you this right now. If, if we were in 2025 right now and there was a potential succession plan to get Taron Johnson, the safety. I would be screaming to draft Clark Phillips. Now, of course, he, he won't be here in two years because he's here now, but a player like this absolutely, absolutely give me all of the hyper aggressive five foot nine, five foot ten great athletes who move side to side quickly, have good change of direction skills and have fearlessness in them. Give me all of them for that position because it's so important. Give me one of the things that we talked about with Taron Johnson when he was early is we talked about that Bob Sanders mentality. We talked about the ability to trigger downhill and just yep. go, right? <clears throat> Give me YOLO in my nickel. I'll never, I need I'll, I'll never forget YOLO. Bob Sanders.
2: Bob Sanders missed a huge chunk of the Colts Super Bowl season, and their defense was pedestrian. And then he returns from injury, and you watched them become a whole different defense. Because he was a guy who, for his time, everyone goes, "Well, he's tiny." What a, no, because he has balls and he plays like it. And when he, and so when you have another safety who watches Bob Sanders come down and lay wood on a running back in the open field, it sends a message to everybody else that if I'm half, if I'm twenty pounds lighter than you and I did that, you better step your game up. Like that's it, and it elevated everybody around him. Teron Johnson does a lot of that for us. So I like just hearing about some of these prospects who you think might fit a similar role out of this class. Uh, One of the guys I'm most curious about just personally is Makai Blackman because he, he's gotten some run. There's been some pre-draft conversation. And I also feel like where he's being talked about drafted, you know, that third, fourth round range, kind of, kind of where they found Teron Johnson might make sense for a team with our other needs. What do you think about him as a
3: prospect? I don't know what to do with Makai Blackman. I, I don't know what to do with him. I, I want him to play safety, but I only want him to come forward. So I have strange vibes because I don't believe in drafting box safeties mm-hmm. like, at all. Like, you don't draft them because you can get box safety-like players in undrafted free agency to play special teams for you. If you are a run defender as your primary function, I don't really want to draft you that much anyway. This is a passing game, right? If you're a two-down thumper linebacker, I'm not really interested. If you're a two-down defensive tackle, I'm not super interested. You have to be able to impact the game on a passing level. So when I look at someone like Blackman, And I think to myself, okay, the fluidity is lacking a little bit. So you think, okay, well, let's move him to safety, right? Because that's usually what you do with someone who lacks fluidity. You go, okay, let's move him to safety, right? But then he's like super-duper physical in coverage because he doesn't really fluidly stick with people. Like, do I want him handling a deep half, a deep quarter? Like, so I'm sitting, okay, I I like the versatility, Like I think to myself, okay, I like the fact that he's played outside and he's played in the slot, right? I like those things. But I think to myself, okay, immediately I want to move him to safety. But then a second I move him to safety, I go, do I feel comfortable having him cover a half? I had the same question when I drafted Jaquan Johnson. I love Jaquan Johnson, right? But Jaquan Johnson is one of those players where I go, yeah, I, I don't really want him covering a deep half. And when you say that out loud to yourself about a safety, you go, okay, so if you don't want him covering a deep half, what do you want him to do? Because if you don't trust him to cover a deep half, that means you don't trust him in cover zero either. You don't trust him in cover one either. So you only trust him in quarters or when he's in the box? Well, then you can't really do much with that. So I like Blackman. I just don't really know what to do with him. So it's one of those players where you go, hey, this is a fun player. Cool. What do we do? <laughs> and I don't... The answer is I don't know. I have no idea. He's extremely physical, which is awesome, but he's not a great tackler so if you're really physical but you're not a great tackler but you i want to move you to safety but i really want good tacklers at safety but i also don't want you to cover i don't know i don't know what to do with him
2: i was gonna say if you're, if you're really physical and you're not a great tackler you probably just go to play for
0: the uh, auburn tigers we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
3: Yeah, there you go. There you go. You do that. Oh, hey. Take it, Chris. I, it's just one of those players. I just feel like he's destined to be a really good four face special teams player.
2: And see, and that's what I want. Because like, see, I see this and I look at it and I go, well, you know, I watch some of the things. I watch a little bit of this here and there. I look at some of the the the, the, the testing and I go, well, he seems like a guy who could play slot. But I trust you more than I trust my own judgment. And I, Chris, how many times have we said the word safety? Not a lot while trying to talk about cornerbacks. I feel like we've said it a lot. So I feel like the natural progression of this podcast is just let's talk about safety. Let's split the difference, because realistically, I don't think this is a draft where we will look at cornerback very much safety. Now there's some meat on the bone here. I feel like the Bills haven't made a significant effort to replace Poyer or Hyde, whether it's via the draft or via free agency, since either one of them showed up here in 2017. Each one of those players has been extended multiple times, or at least not multiple, but at least Poyer, and Hyde is running out the clock on his last extension. I think a lot of that has to do with the failure of any player behind them to develop into much of anything, and they've had a number of them. People forget. I I remember Trey Elston, undrafted free agent of Old Miss, who came in 2017 and played safety snaps and they trusted him to handle single high duties for a handful of weeks because I think someone, I think Hyde missed a couple games. Saran Neal, who they drafted and said, Hey, he's a Swiss army knife box safety type player. Jaquan Johnson, Cam Lewis, Josh Thompson. I, I would almost caution that the jury is still out on DeMar Hamlin. Um, not, not because of the injury, but because we didn't get to see enough sample size to know whether or not. he I mean, he was two years in. He His whole first year, he didn't get any reps. Second year, he finally started getting his feet wet as a starting safety, and we saw some good, some bad. Like You now watched the team bring in a safeties coach who has his background in education, or at least recently has developed a safety from less than what people thought he could be in Jalen Petrie into something that, like, hey, that's... That's a player I would like on my football team. And he's a guy who, by and large, has held a more educational role than the guy that he replaced. I mean, I know that firing and hiring caught a lot of flack from our fan base. But I think that it's them realizing they have a need. They say, look, we've, we've done this thing with safeties. We're not finding any more answers. So we need to bring somebody in who can coach up young players But you also have to look at the way that they source these players, whether it's expenditure of cap space, draft capital, or lack thereof. I mean, multiple undrafted free agents is how they've chosen to address their safety depth or day three picks. Like that's it. That's all. That's the only effort you've put into this since you landed Hyden Poyer back in 2017. It feels to me like they treat this like our friend Iman, Chris. Mm-hmm. He calls them you'll probably laugh at this verse. He calls them beta bets. He goes on FanDuel and he throws out $1 and $2 bets on nonsense. Like first hockey player to score in an NHL game on the West Coast. He's
1: he's literally just, his go-to is <laughs> betting on the Flames first goal for the Flames will be scored by Dylan Dubé.
2: And the reason why is because it pays for a dollar you can win like 42. And he goes, well, fuck it. It gives me a reason to watch the game and stay up and have an extra cocktail. And at the same time, if he wins that one, he looks like a genius. It buys him an 18-pack and covers another couple weeks of these ridiculous bets. But if he's wrong, it was only a dollar. And it feels like that's what the Bills have been doing with the safety position. Given the age of our safety group right now and how important we now know them to be, I mean, you... We've said it for years, but then you look at last year's win-loss ratio without Jordan Poyer. That alone tells you how important safety is to the Sean McDermott defense. Even with a team like our needs, is this class, because it seems like there's this brewing need to get ahead of the train of if you get too old too quickly or you absorb too many injuries at this position, your team cannot function defensively the same way. Is it finally time to start having that conversation that significant assets need to be used at that
3: spot? I think it depends a lot on what we talked about earlier, because I mentioned we were going to circle back to it. And yep. now here we are circling back to it. If you think that Taryn Johnson and Christian Benford are your future safeties, then no. If you don't think that Christian Benford and Taryn Johnson are your future safeties, then you need significant help because Taylor wraps on a one year deal and. You would like an opportunity to be able to – I just – I really wish Taylor Rapp was signed to a two-year deal. I just really wish it because Micah Hyde is going into his last year. And Micah Hyde is – I have a hot take for you. Yep. The hottest of the hot take. So I was on with Pat Moran a couple years ago, and I was supposed to rank the top 20 Buffalo Bills for 2020. And I put Micah Hyde over Jordan Boyer, and people lost their absolute minds. Just because you don't notice him as much doesn't mean he's not incredibly important. Micah Hyde is the best deep ball defender in football. That is not hyperbolic. There are plenty of years where the Buffalo Bills will give up a singular or zero passer rating when people try to tempt Micah Hyde in coverage. Deep in a zone. Zero. You're better off throwing the ball into the ground than you are throwing it deep if Micah Hyde is in that zone. He is the best deep ball defender in football.
2: Ask Mac Jones about that.
3: (laughs) Ask Mac Jones. He's like, I got this. I totally got this. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's a little bit like the Tremaine Edmonds argument. You are not going to notice what Tremaine Edmonds did until things start happening that didn't happen before. It's an opportunity cost function. It's you are not noticing this thing Because all because what you're looking for is you're looking for splash offensive plays from a defender. Yep. And I don't understand why we do that. Because what you want is you want splash plays, you want offensive plays from your defending players. But that's not what defense means. Defense is about stopping things from happening. Now, one of the ways in which you can stop them from happening is by taking the ball away or knocking it away. But if you decide, if you make an impact on a cornerback, a quarterback, where he decides not to throw the ball. That's you defending. I was about That's to That's you doing your job. That's what the word defending means. I
2: was about to say some of the best defenders in football to me I've always looked at this sport just having played it a little bit knowing what I know about it it's it's a hallmark of high-end play when quarterbacks don't try you because <laughs> it's just like oh I I al-. first of all their eyes tell them that guy's not open more often than not and also the Their common sense that goes, if I loft this thing up there and Micah hides within three and a half to four feet of it, it's probably a bad call. I'm not going to risk it. I'll go somewhere else where my odds of success are higher. But that's football, isn't it?
3: Playing quarterback is probability function with 300 men trying to beat your face. Yes, that's what it is. So if I have a 20, if I perceive that I have a 20% chance of completing this pass for 30 yards, or I have a 60% chance of completing this pass for 10 yards. I'm going to take the second option. It's probability function. That's the way this works. 100%. Probability function in real time with 300 pound men trying to kill you. Like that's what playing quarterback is. And if you can drive the perceived probability down for a quarterback in pass coverage, that's a win. That's defending. That's what you're supposed to do. Micah Hyde being on the last year of his contract is extremely concerning to me. Yes. Because one of the things we saw last year, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it was, man, why do the Bills suck on third and long? I I feel like every time third and long comes around, they complete, hello, we didn't have Micah Hyde. Everyone's like, oh, it's a Leslie Frazier thing. Let's isolate the variable. We had Leslie Frazier last year, and we were good on third and long. We have Leslie Frazier this year, and we're bad on third and long. Hmm. What player is it that played off the line of scrimmage who isn't playing this year that we think might have an impact on that? It's Micah Hyde. So I am extremely concerned about Micah Hyde going into his last year of his contract. But if you think that it's Benford, Taron Johnson, Taylor Rapp, some combination of them taking over for Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, then no, you don't go into this thinking you need to address that situation. But if you don't... If you think that Taron Johnson's got three or four more years as a nickel corner and Christian Benford's going to be CB3, your mm. first man off the bench as a boundary corner, then you better darn go well find yourself a safety right now. Exactly.
2: So with that, well, and it's funny you're talking about what makes them elite. I, I just, as you're talking, I, my head goes to Marcus Peters 2019 Bills game, final play of the game. The Ravens play a cover zero, and it's just Marcus Peters and John Brown, our number one receiver at the time, split out wide. He's on an island. They are going to blitz Josh Allen on the final play of the game, and they're going to dare him to throw at him. And this is the difference between guys who statistically are great, but then are not only statistically great, like quarterbacks avoid them, so their numbers might not show it, but then they make the play is that, if Marcus Peters doesn't break that pass up, it's a touchdown and the Bills win the football game. It's he's there; he breaks it up because that's what great players do. We have that in Michael Hyde as a safety. He is that for our defense. He's, he's and so not having that, you got to see what that looked like. Now I'm looking at this year's class and I'm wondering not only what the appetite of the team is going to be, because it's clearly important, right? Like, you just hit on it. Mm -hmm. Our defense was statistically worse in some very key areas because we didn't have Micah Hyde. And Micah Hyde's coming up on the end of his contract. He's a little long in the tooth. We saw what we weren't when Jordan Poyer was out. Long in the tooth. Now, for the first time in his career, has just racked up this very quickly developing injury history that you have to look at and go, did the scale finally tip? For someone who plays the game as physically as he has, he's been alarmingly healthy. So it's like, you, so it turns out you're not Bruce Willis and unbreakable. You're actually human, and it seems like the scale might be tipping the other way. There might be an onus of this football team to put some draft capital and some solid draft capital into it. And if not, at least take another shot at what they've been doing, which is just throwing darts and hoping they hit a bullseye somewhere. With that said, you look at the makeup of this class. First of all, one of the things that stands out is all of the top prospects are in the SEC. Uh. Do you think it's interesting that they're a conference that both – like they have teams that run the ball very well and do so like heavily, more so than I think other conferences in football. A lot of them build their identity around physicality on the offensive line at running back. And so in that way, if you play safety in the SEC, and at the same time, they have high-volume passing attacks in the SEC. So if you're a safety coming out of that conference, I feel like more and more you're seeing these guys being drafted higher or more highly rated because they're more NFL-ready. Does that bear any weight? Or, I mean, am I just too many beers in? What do you think about that?
3: No, you're not too many beers in. I think that the SEC has an abundance of better athletes, And when you have an abundance of better athletes, you can find places for them. And when you find places for them, a lot of times they end up going to safety. A lot of these safeties were corners or linebackers in high school. And so what you're doing is you're getting these players who have that cross training, right? They're safeties who know how to diagnose and trigger downhill quickly. Why? Because they were linebackers in high school. You have safeties who can cover people in man coverage. You can bring them down into a slot and ask them to cover someone. Why? Because they were corners in high school. And so it's almost like safety positions become superfluous with your talent level. And you end up with players like Brian Branch, who can play anywhere you want him to play. If you want to play Brian Branch as a nickel, play him as a nickel. If you want to play him as safety, play him as safety. And so that gives you the benefit of being able to do that. Now, you have players who are later in the draft, like Brandon Hill from Pittsburgh, right? We know that the Bills have a connection with the Pittsburgh defensive backs because they drafted DeMar Hamlin. So they got an early scout at Brandon Hill. And this is going to sound really strange when I say it. If there is one position, one, that I trust Sean McDermott and the defensive coaching staff to take someone who's a day three pick and turn them into a really good safety, it's safety. Like, that's the position I trust them at the most. And so I would not be shocked at all if they drafted a corner. And said he's going to be a safety because they signed two of them. They signed Jordan Poyer, who was a converted corner. They signed Micah Hyde, who was a converted nickel. And they turned them into really, really good upper tier all pro safeties. So it's almost difficult for me to scout safeties because I don't even know if they're looking at safety the same way that I am.
2: Well, and this is where we this, this thing muddies. The waters get muddied a little bit because here's what I see you talked about testing being so important earlier when it came to cornerbacks. Yes. Now, both Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, when you go back and you pull their RAS scorecards, terrible testing, (laughs) terrible testing, but hang on now, Jordan, it's hilarious that Jordan Poyer doesn't play the, the deep half nearly as well as Micah Hyde. And yet he's the more explosive quote unquote RAS athlete. But 10-yard split, he was a 9.13. It was the only thing that he graded positively on. Then you go to Micah Hyde, and you say, okay, well, Micah Hyde, terrible athlete. How is he a pro? Oh, wait, his three-cone drill. He was elite in short area agility. Hmm. What that tells you is both of these players had And then you start to read some of the other scouting reports, and the thing they keep telling you is these players have it between the ears. And you Hmm. go, oh, wait a minute. So if you can give me a quick trigger and some guys who are smart enough to know how to put themselves Uh into good positions to allow that one elite trait they have to make a difference, that's the difference between being a pro bowler and not.
3: The game is not played in 40-yard dashes. It's played in 10-yard splits. Yep. And change of directions. And ironically enough, if you look up Jordan Poyer on like mock draftable or something like that, Mm -hmm. one of his closest athletic comps is Micah Hyde. I just I don't know if you know but it's it's absolutely, absolutely. riotous. That's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. And there were a couple people who came out last year who I thought were athletic comparisons to them. But you know, if you look at they all it's it, it's it's the game is played in 10 yard splits and change of directions. You know, like that's I mean Micah Hyde 82 percentile, 82nd percentile on three cone. Right? Jordan Poyer Was the 83rd percentile in three cone. We talked about agility testing being so important for slots. It's the reason why it's important for safeties because Mm -hmm. so think about it this way. We talk about instincts a lot as linebackers, as safeties. Okay. What is change of direction? If not a simply variable that you add on top of agility and change of direction to give you more leeway all change of direction is is grace with your instincts that's what it is because we say oh he's a step behind well if you're a step faster then you can afford to be a step behind so if you find someone who is instinctual and changes direction quick now they're two steps ahead and that's the point that's why testing matters that's why instincts matter because that's what three cone is three cone is change of direction and if you find someone who can change direction quickly, you're just giving more margin for error for your instincts. And then if you put good instincts on top of good change of direction, now you're a step ahead all the time. And It's so important for defense. We get so obsessed with everything else when it comes to back seven. Give me tons of people who are smart, instinctual, and change direction quickly. I'm good with it.
2: So as we close the show, who are some guys on your short list of day late you know, day two, late, day three prospects that Bills fans might want to start to learn the names of now in case that's the direction this thing moves that you think fit those criteria?
3: Christian Morgan, Baylor. Get used to it. Sean McDermott has expressed his love for Dave Aranda and the Baylor Bears. Christian Morgan from Baylor is someone who is quick. He is someone who moves well. He looks like an athlete. When you see him, you look at him, you're like, hey, that, that guy looks like an athlete, right? He is somebody who doesn't stand out to you as being deficient in any one particular area. He doesn't look at him and say, think to himself, okay, well, you know, um, I feel like I feel like he just I don't know, he's too short. Right. He's not an outlier in any way, which you always want to stay away from size outliers in general. You don't want people who are too big. Dewan Jones. You don't want people who are too small. Tank Dell. You want people who fit normal criteria. And Christian Morgan is a player like that who comes from a program that you know that they have significant respect from. Like that's just the way it works. And so I think that that's a player that if you were going to make, if you were going to make a day three pick at safety, He's the some. He's the kind of player that I think, I think the Bills would be looking at. So I think that you, I already mentioned Brandon Hill from Pitt. If you are, if I, I say Christian Morgan, and then I already mentioned um, uh, the slot from Utah. What's his name? I I, I literally just said his name earlier. Um, crap, cornerback Utah slot. Uh, he, he has a three at the end of his name. Clark Phillips the third. There we mm-hmm. go. Clark Phillips, the third. Those are three people who, if they're sitting there, round four, five, six, I, 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 I'm making a call and I'm happy about it.
2: God. Chris, how mad will you be if they take a second-round pick at safety?
1: I wouldn't be that mad. I mean. I will be if it's not Jordan Battle. I mean, Poyer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Poyer and Hyde are in their later years, so at some point you gotta got to do something.
2: It's weird thinking that Alabama has three safeties that are probably all going to be drafted in the what top 4 rounds. It's just but I think again that's a, it's indicative of where that where that conference is gone. You have to be able to play the run, you also have to be able to play the pass and it's getting a lot of their guys drafted, which is going to make it a better scout it, it's, it's a college football's weird like that. I, I'm interested to see where they pan out. I'm interested to see where the bills decide to allocate their draft resources. This whole safety thing is just, it's the one fly in the draft ointment where I go, offense, offense is the need. But maybe, I mean, maybe defensive lines in this conversation too, but it's like, holy shit, maybe safety because of how important like last year's defense showed us it is. I don't know. I'm sure you're going to have a lot more of this on your pods over the course of the next month. You stay busy over there at the uh, the Bruce exclusive. Obviously, everybody knows where to find it. What do you have coming up? Do you want to tease a little something for our listeners?
3: So this week, we're going to be talking about rebranding. The name of the show this week is by any other name, of course, taken from the Romeo and Juliet, William Shakespeare. Is this why where you, we talk about? A, is this why you
2: tweeted out asking about nicknames? Yes,
3: dude. There's always a plan. There's always a plan with you.
2: Like even social media, you don't use social media for fun. You literally, like, this is just a podcast vehicle, isn't it?
3: Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, There's always there's always a plan. I'm always collecting (laughs) some sort of data. There's always there's always a plan. Every poll, every question, there's a plan. And so we're going to talk about nicknames. We're going to talk about rebranding. We're going to talk about how we call things different things. And then we get so used to our nickname vernacular that we forget our real name. And so we're going to talk about things, how that applies to the NFL draft prospects, specific people who are called specific things. But They're called those specific things to slant you a specific direction. And we can't actually lose sight of what they actually are. I made the joke of a meme not too long ago that the second you start to press somebody about spending meaningful draft capital on a running back, they'll say, well, he's an offensive weapon. (laughs) That's a great example of what I'm talking about. Oh, it's okay. He's an offensive weapon. No, he's a running back. You're calling him an offensive weapon because you're trying to get away from the fact that, well, he's special. He's different. He's an offensive weapon. No, he's a running back. He's running back.
2: And running backs. Hey, Chris, didn't we paint the picture last week? I literally, I build charts. That's what I do, Bruce. And I charted that there hasn't been a Super Bowl winning team for four years that has a rusher any more successful than Devin Singletary. Or that like like your leading back wasn't any more successful than that guy. And no combination of a lead back plus a second back plus a quarterback has ever been more successful than Josh Allen and our two guys. So realistically, if that's the case, I don't know that I need I don't need the next
3: coming of Adrian Peterson. <laughs> don't do that right. to me. I agree with you. It's it, it Well, man, let me ask you. Have you ever saw a piece of technology, have you seen a piece of technology and you think to yourself, "Wow, that's fascinating. That's awesome. This is so cool." Or your wife will tell you, "Hey, this is so cool." And you will say, "Yes, it's cool. Do we need that? Is that is that a coolness we need in our life?" All of the time. That's the way I feel about <laughs> things like that. Like, "Oh yeah, hey, that's awesome." I don't know how useful it is, but it's awesome. I'm having the same conversation, which, again, is part of the pod this week, about the concept of clutchness. The concept of clutchness, being clutch, is incredibly overrated. Because everyone, the only difference between scoring 35 points in the first quarter and spending it in the fourth quarter is how we emotionally feel about it. That's it. God, and it takes a special
2: person like you to break that down and literally tear all emotion away from it and just look at it. So scientifically, I love it. I can't wait to listen to it guys. I Bruce, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening and your busy social life. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> you can't even say it with a straight <laughs> face to, I can't even hear it with a straight face
2: to, to, to come And join us on the podcast But for tonight we gotta to get the hell out of here Guys, that's been Bruce Nolan I'm Drew Gear. that's Chris Kruger, And this has been your Rock Pop
4: Report Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me We all understand the importance of mental And physical well being And proper recovery for top notch performance That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing Is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network